Uh, all right, come on in, class. Come on in, settle down, please. Come on in. Okay, just Lewis. take your seats, please. Settle down, settle down. Let's just let's just recap. Firstly, uh, I want to start off today's class by just recapping what we learned over the past three years. Uh, now, uh, repeat after me. Repeat after me. Joag rule number one: There is no god in the sky. There is no god in the sky. Correct. Joag rule number two: The universe doesn't care, and that's fine. The universe doesn't care, and that's fine. Jack of all graves, rule number three. You are not safe. You are not safe. You are not safe. And if you haven't got that into your heads by now, listening to Cory and I fucking witter on week in, week out about just how unsafe you are, let me give you another fucking example, shall I? Oh boy, here we go. Come with us, come with us, come with me to uh, the 1980s, 1970s, 1980s, and we are going to the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic. Mm, Always a good time. Yeah, 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 yeah. In particular, uh, a particular housing block, a apartment building in the Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republic, the attractively named, glamorously titled Apartment 85, building number 7, on uh, Mary Primachenko Street. Okay, I'm there. I'm with you. Let's do this. So visualize this for me, okay? It isn't much to look at. It's uh, kind of... Soviet era social housing mm-hmm. and in particular I want you to take yourself back to the the time between 1980 and 1989 all right okay so we're in the 90s uh, sorry we're in the 80s we're in Ukraine in that particular apartment block over those nine years that apartment in particular played home to two families Okay, separately. One family lived there, then they moved out, then another family lived there. These were families uh, with teenagers, families with younger children. Uh, The building uh, was erected in the very, very late 70s, very early 1980s. Uh, There was a lot of pressure from Moscow at the time. Uh, Moscow was shortly to host the 1980 Olympic Games, okay? Mm -hmm. A lot of pressure from the government that uh, Olympic facilities are built quickly and built perfectly uh the eyes of the world were going to be on moscow and nothing could be seen to go wrong all right the uh the ussi wanted to show the world that it cared that it cared about its people so affordable housing in high demand Mm -hmm. and in that backdrop against that backdrop we have apartment 85 building 7 marie primachenko street now within the first year right within the first year of that family living in that apartment an 18 year old woman in that apartment fell badly ill Mm. fell badly ill and grew worse very very quickly and died very quickly of what was diagnosed as leukemia oh okay yeah okay yeah rapid rapid onset rapid deterioration in her health Mm. Uh, leukemia blood cancer a year later a year later her brother in that same apartment her brother of 16 years old Showed the same symptoms, had the same trajectory to his disease, worsening quickly, dying in exactly the same way. Jeez, that's awful. Apartment 85, two young, otherwise ostensibly healthy people with their lives ahead of them, Mm. grow sick and died of leukemia. Uh, Shortly after that, the mother. Shortly after that, the same flat, the same family, their mother same circumstances same disease same outcome oh yeah and despite this incredible coincidence 
doctors could find absolutely no link and blamed this entire thing on poor genetics, on uh, heredity, yes? Unlucky so Did they, like, come to the house genetics. and look for things, or they were just kind of like, I don't know, guess you guys just got bad genes. You sit tight. You sit okay. tight, right? Because later, <laughs> the information will be revealed. Drip, drip, drip. Do you see what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. You're in, yeah, you? I You're see in. It. I see you yeah. leaning in. I'm I see in. you. Yeah. Because later, right, that language. family, that family moved out, and a brand new family moved into that apartment. And as patterns do, the pattern began anew. First was a teenage boy was the first to die, right? Same disease, same trajectory, same onset, same awful death. Word began to spread about mm. this apartment. Word began to spread about this flat. Uh, some said that it was cursed. It was a haunted apartment, you know. <laughs> Others in the building had also developed other illnesses, leukemia. Okay. But it was apartment 85 that seemed to be this epicenter of the right, sickness. Right, yeah. You know, all. Yeah, I wondered located. if there were if it was just them or others, but all okay. the, the the kind of the focal point of this mm. strange leukemic epidemic was focused right there in apartment eighty five. Now, after the teenager died, the father of that boy demanded it was taken more seriously. Insisted the authorities look closely at this and investigate. Okay. Yeah. So to nineteen eighty nine. Uh, radiologists began a survey of the apartment. To, they took air samples, you know, they took other readings. Mm-hmm. Even before reaching apartment 85 itself, in the building itself, radiation levels were ridiculously high. Oh, gosh. All yeah. throughout the flat, to the point where uh, the team who were investigating, that requisition from the civil defense headquarters, a higher-powered radiation <laughs> measuring device to be able to cope oh, with the Lord. insane radiation in this block of flats, right? Now, uh, oh, I am not... I'm not a radiologist. This is after four people have died? Four dead, yes. Four dead. Four dead, and they finally and come in and they're like, holy fuck, oh, this place what? is there nuclear. There seems to be a lot of radiation in the flats. <laughs> Good That's what they said. What they yeah. said. <laughs> um, in the flat itself, in the flat itself, an insane reading of 200 Röntgens per hour, okay? R- For Rönt- reference. Röntgen? Röntgens, yes. That's not familiar with that particular me- you've measure. You've seen Chernobyl. Uh, no. I oh, watched an episode of it. Oh, fair enough. Uh, you know me. drinking per hour. <laughs> not awful, not great. But for reference, right, a dose of 400 drinking is considered instantly lethal. That's an insta-kill. Jesus. And the background radiation in that apartment was 200. Mm. Now, of course, the highest levels, the highest levels were coming from the wall next to the bed where each of the leukemia victims, those who'd succumbed, had slept. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. This joining wall where this bed was placed, the same bed that uh, the 18-year-old, the 16-year-old, the child after them, that all died. Okay. So what happened? They took the wall away. The wall was cut and taken away for closer testing. They had to wrap this section of wall in lead and encase <laughs> yeah. it in fucking sand. You know, it's funny. Just by pure coincidence, I've been, I was listening to last podcast on the left earlier today, and they're talking about the Manhattan Project. Um, and, uh, that is how Marie Curie's, um, like notes and everything, even her cookbooks (laughs) are kept like in lead because there's still so much radiation on them that they could kill you. Mm. Yes. (laughs) Anyways, Uh, go on. But check this out. The wall was cut away. Like I said, taken for testing, wrapped in lead, buried in sand. Readings of the apartment before and after indicated that as soon as that wall was taken away, Background radiation went to perfectly, practically normal levels. 
the, just the wall was removed. Just the wall. Just the wall. What the fuck? Just the wall. Why don't okay, we rewind? Go on. Yeah. Why don't what? we rewind? I can't. Back. I don't even have like a guess here as to mm. why that would be the case. Like, listeners, what do you think, listeners? Let me give you a bit more, right? Let me give you a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, please do. Rewind to the late 1970s. So, like I said, Moscow uh, is exerting a lot of pressure on its building trade, on its social housing why? trade. The Olympics are coming up. Oh, Nothing I could think be I'm seen to go wrong. To see something here. Okay. Russia must reign supreme. There was a need that the mm-hmm. world had to see. The USSR was in charge. Was in control was where it was at. Oh, no. Yeah. Come with me to a quarry in the Donetsk yeah, region. God damn it. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. One day, a worker, an unnamed worker at a quarry in Donetsk, was performing uh, measurements with a, uh, a, a device containing an, a radioactive isotope. All right? Mm-hmm. And that machine dropped a tiny ampule, tiny fucking tiny capsule of cesium-137. Now, cesium-137 is some deeply, deeply radioactive shit. It's the same uh, substance that was flung into the atmosphere during Chernobyl. Yeah. Now, as soon as the worker uh, notified uh, his, his, you know, his line manager or whatever that that capsule had vanished. When I say tiny, I mean it is absolutely tiny. Eight millimeters by four millimeters. I feel like we've talked about things like this before of like just the, like, wasn't there something that was like lost somewhere out in like, the outback of Australia Brazil. like this. Oh, well, oh, was it sit Brazil? Tight, sit tight, sit tight. Okay. <laughs> we did talk recently about uh, some fucking traveling tinkers found like a radiography machine and sold off the bits. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. So this is not the only time that just like a tiny amount of this that could be oh, 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 horrific my, has been lost in some way. Dear co-host. Um, <laughs> season one. I'm getting the sense I don't even know the half oh, of it. You are. You are not safe. <laughs> Anyway, like I said, eight millimeters by four millimeters, tiny. Work was shut down. The search was conducted. There was a fingertip search, but work must continue. Work What's must go on. What's a fingertip search? A fingertip search, literally as it sounds. Uh, searching like they're rubble. on the ground, like yes, you, like you yes, lost yes, a contact. Yes. Exactly, okay. a fingertip search. Um, but it had vanished. It was gone amidst the rubble. You know, the pressure Jesus. for the work to continue mm. bit. It took precedence. A few days later, the search was called off. The capsule found its way. And they couldn't, they couldn't like bring in the same kind of machine they brought into that apartment to find no. it. No. Why? It was, it was it was fucking tiny and it was vanished. It had gone. Uh, it was uh, it found its way into a, uh, a, a kind of a truckload of commercial rock, and sure. you can guess the rest. It was shipped to mm-hmm. Kramatorsk, where construction had begun. Building seven, Mary Primachenko Street. And that tiny eight fucking millimeter capsule of cesium-137 found its way into the adjoining wall of flat 85. The rest you already know. That is wild. Isn't it? The capsule was found. It was found in the concrete taken from the wall. The serial number. Four people dead and an apartment complex sickened. Yep. 17 others with, you know, life-changing illnesses, leukemia. Um... It was found. It was found in the wall. The serial number traced it directly to the quarry. Four dead, 17 right. others seriously ill. Later in just, it wasn't until 2012, right? 
that a report on this incident uh, was finally released, the Kramatorsk radiological accident, as it became known. Uh, and it was blamed on, and I quote, the failure of accounting and control of radioactive sources, uh, violations of physical protection of radioactive sources, and low-level safety culture in the company. <laughs> okay, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that sums it up. Bureaucratic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, word salad, which means, oh, we fucked up. Whoops. Yeah, basically, oh, someone dropped yep. something and we ceased to care because we had we other things going capsule. on. Now, yep. luckily, luckily, it's got to be an isolated incident, right? This never happens. Yeah, anywhere. yeah, surely. Never happens anywhere else. It, it didn't, for example, <laughs> happen in Brazil in 1987. Oh, God. Uh, when the, the machine that we spoke about was found and dismantled and sold to any old fucker. Um, <laughs> It certainly didn't happen in 1997 in Georgia, where a cesium-137 pellet uh, was found. The country or the state? The country, the country, the country. Uh, A a pellet of the exact same stuff found its way into uh, military uniforms for some reason. Um, It definitely didn't happen. It uh, it gave radiation poisoning and burns to a load of soldiers. Definitely, uh, luckily, it didn't happen in 1998. In Spain, where a uh, recycling company melted down a load of cesium-137 and released a fucking radioactive cloud all across, which left traces in France, Switzerland, Italy, Austria. Why? Oh, yeah. Like, wait, (laughs) was it on purpose? Like, uh, It was a a recycling accident. A recycling company accidentally melted down radioactive cesium. Oh, God, how? Why? What? Uh, 2009 in China, cesium-137 mixed in with eight truckloads of scrap metal by mistake and delivered to a commercial mill. Definitely, luckily, it didn't happen in Norway in 2015. In Norway, 2015, eight radioactive samples were uh, moved away for educational purposes and they are still fucking missing. They are still missing. Do you have any, like, so what is so bonkers about this to me yeah. Like, aside from it being horribly irresponsible, is, yeah. like, how common is this material? Like, why is it yeah. in so many places that, like, a recycling place can end up with it? Or, like, what did yeah. you just say for that uh, uh, last one? The recycling one? company, uh, uh, it, it, moved, it was moved, this one in Norway, into an educational facility. It was being studied. Okay, so that makes sense. Uh, the, like, but some of these ones, you're just like, how... Does yeah. it get out in the wild? Like, oh, the, or the, the what did you say? It was like sheets of metal or something yeah. like that? Yeah, that, a recycled like, metal. It, it, it's how common is this stuff? Seemingly a very, very common material. <laughs> um, but, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not even done. Helsinki, oh my God. 2016. Uh, <laughs> Seattle, 2019. Western Australia, 20 fucking 23 just a few weeks back that must be the one that we were talking yeah, about yeah 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 yeah, yeah. eight millimeter capsule cesium 137 uh luckily it was found after being missing right. for a week but yeah. you're not safe <laughs> nope you are what? not fucking safe it's out there oh, waiting for you and it at might any be given time at any given time incredible stuff that's i would never even think that that could be, like, a, a, a thing that might happen to me. <laughs> it very much is. Let me quote directly from my notes, if I may. Yes, please do. Fucking look at these nerds. Oh, mise en scène. I don't think anyone 
anyone has ever said mise en scène in such a horny way before. The way I whispered the word sex cannibal recently. Worst comes to worst, Mark. I'm willing to guillotine you for science. Thank you. That's really, really sweet. It's you cold know. outside, but my pancreas is talking to me. I'm fucking, <laughs> I'm gonna leg it. You know how I feel about that, Mark. I think you feel great about it. That's insane, Mark Lewis. It is insane. So, uh, welcome to Joag, I guess. <laughs> welcome to your newest anxiety. You know, welcome to Joag. I mean, this 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 season of Joag is all about kind of just pumping out those anxieties. Just mm. new ones every week. That's what, you know, I used to get like a toy in your cereal packet or uh, <laughs> something on the front of your comic every mm-hmm. single week with Joag free a new anxiety just for you. <laughs> just that little little present in the Cracker Jack mm. box is your yes. your latest anxiety here on Joe it's, it's It's glowing. It's warm. <laughs> it's all yours. Yeah, that's great. Because like I said, I was listening to that um, last podcast about the Manhattan Project, and it had me thinking about radioactivity and things like that. So now I can mm. sort of meld these two things together to create something that I'm going to be uh, deeply mm. troubled by from this point forward. Yeah, yeah good. good. Do feel free. You know, come come at me. Give me some new hangups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe next week or or the this week after. I should a, say I'll find a good uh, a, a good thing to make you stressed out about <laughs> after obviously your glorious relaxing uh, oh, I week need it. I at download. Fucking need it, man. I am lunging for the finish line this week. Yeah, two more. days. Oh, but it's huh? gonna be good. It's good. Yeah, two more days. Two more days. How are you? You're not in your dank basement. I am not in my dank basement today. Um, took an impromptu trip. Keo's working in Connecticut uh, and was like, you want to come? Uh, and I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Uh, uh, and so I'm in Stamford, Connecticut right now. Is that anywhere near to Connecticut? It is uh, shockingly close to Connecticut, mm. yes. Nice, nice, nice. <laughs> is that near uh, Arkansas? Yeah. <laughs> no, nowhere near Arkansas. Saying dumb, things wrong because dumb it's dad jokes. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, yeah, and it's it's nice. I mean, I haven't really done anything. I have worked out and gone mm. swimming in the pool here, and I have oh, not left beautiful. this facility. Um, but I feel good about that because I'm in Connecticut. I'm literally an hour from home, so mm. I don't feel a lot of pressure to do anything right now, which is great. Nope, and nor should you. And uh, our dear listeners, Jack of All Graves Galaxy, if you want more of this Connecticut chat. Then I would guide you respectfully to our Ko-Fi where we have a brand new Snackable Graves up for your viewing and listening pleasure. Indeed, it's a it's another uh, chat and play ramble, uh, diving further into Death's Door mm. and uh, just talking about the idea of tragic optimism uh, while being interrupted by boss battles and things like that. Um, and just various other rambles, and of yeah. course, a little argument between the two of us about when we were going to record, record this podcast. So, yeah, again, a real a inside little, view of uh, look behind the curtains, isn't it? And if yes. you've got a gap in your day and you want to see someone really fucking suck at a game, <laughs> like to the point where you you could be forgiven for thinking that it's the first video game I've ever played. <laughs> yeah, a little bit at times. Uh, uh, <laughs> But you do have a, a thing Mark does that is uh, maybe one of the cutest video game habits I've ever seen yeah. in my life is um, aside from the sounds you make, of course, which mm. are wonderful as well. <laughs> but is when you like accomplish something, making your little character do a cute little spin. <laughs> I Listen, I've always, always, always done it. And I think you're the first person who's ever seen it and noticed it. Oh, that's a bit strange. Uh, it 
was I wonderful do it on Super every Mario, single time. I do it on every single game. I'll just make my character <laughs> run around in little circles. <laughs> like they've just done something fun. I found that very charming. It was really delightful Good. every time you did that. Um, so yeah, Good. if you want to uh, just sit with us, I mean, put it on in the background while you work and feel like you have friends that you're hanging yeah, out with. Yeah, um, yeah. There's an hour and 40 minutes of yeah. just the two of us shooting the breeze while playing a little video game. So you do, you subscribe do have friends to... that you're hanging out oh, with yeah. and it's us. And it's us. <laughs> and so, you know, if you want to feel that warmth, Subscribe yes. to us on Ko-Fi for as little as $3 a month, and you get such fun little adventures. And I think we plan on kind of doing that more. We realized it's, like, yeah. not hard to do. And the time just kind of it. slips by. Yeah, exactly. It, really it was like, okay, we'll record for 30 minutes, and then the next thing we knew, it was nearly two Day hours. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, check that out on the Ko-Fi. Do the right thing. Uh, coming. Super briefly, we've got... We've had a little bit of blowback oh, uh, God, from, yes. from from the saga <sighs> about the poo knife last week, right? We've yeah, had a little bit of pushback on that. It is yeah. um, maybe uh, it's horrifying, but not necessarily in a Joag way. So if <laughs> if you were listening to the poo knife story while, you know, if it, if it did, if it if it fucked with you or if it made you feel ill, I apologize. But you may be entitled to compensation. You are not. You're entitled to nothing. <laughs> But look, Joag is is my outlet. It is my uh, my release valve. It is my catharsis. And mm. if I I feel it, God damn it, I'm gonna say it. So, like I said, every <laughs> fucking episode is a dice roll, and sometimes <sighs> it comes up brown. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. I think you um, you finally found the edge of the boundary for um, many of our listeners with yeah. that particular story. So, yeah. you know. It's good. It's good to know we still got it. Can still introduce a little tra- trauma yeah, into it's the still jaded ex- it's lives. Still experimental, isn't it? We're still mm-hmm. we're, we're not afraid to find where those thresholds are, where those outer limits are. And yes, it's the podcast that goes there. We fucking go there, and you listen because you have to. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's a compulsion. We've talked yeah. about this. Yeah, um, choice. You never did. <laughs> so yeah, thank you, thank you for that. Mm. Um. A fun thing that my husband told me the other day, uh, he was working in Santa Clara, California, and there's a fella that, um, I think it was his roommate while there, he usually doesn't share a room, but on this particular job, they always do, and they were talking about Patton Oswalt, and, you know, nice one guy. thing Seems led to like another. like a stand-up guy. Uh, apparently, he was not great to oh. work with in okay. this particular okay. case, which surprised me. Generally, seems like a, a pretty cool chap. Mm. Um, but they were talking about that and then it came up, obviously like his wife and, uh, or, you know, late wife, not his current wife and Uh her work with the Golden State Killer, um, you know, trying to track down the, the Golden State Killer or the Eron's Killer, however you like to refer to him. Um, and the guy drops that he dated the younger daughter of the Golden State Killer all through high school. Yeah. And oh, that's a big so, one. That is a that yeah, is a banger. Right? And thankfully, my dear husband is known for the fact that he never asks follow-up questions because he doesn't want to be nosy. <laughs> and it drives Just me insane. Hanging in like, the air. Right. Like, there was this guy, he had a coworker who straight, like, disappeared and, like, maybe faked his own death and then, like, reappeared, like, three years later. Amazing. And, like, he's telling us this story and then we're like, so, like... 
where was he? Did you ask me? He's like, oh, no, of course not. We were like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> Are you serious? But he did ask follow-up questions uh, of the Golden State Killer boyfriend um, who apparently said that, like, basically he was, like, a, just, like, a terrible uh. racist old white guy. Like, <laughs> just, like, awful. Um, and Keo, I guess, asked, like, did you, did he ever seem dangerous or violent? Like, he would, like, like, did you have a sense he would kill you or anything mm. like that? Um, and he said, like, no, like, obviously he seemed like a guy who, like, was really ragey and could potentially have the propensity for violence. But mm. the older daughter of the Golden State Killer um, had a child out of wedlock with a black man. Okay. And he did not like that. And he spent all his time just like ranting about how much he hated this guy and all this kind of stuff and just racist rants about this dude. And so this guy was like, I figured if he hadn't killed that guy, (laughs) who he Uh. clearly harbored so much hatred for, Mm. I was probably safe. Mm. Um, But he said he found out about it like he ran into the girl later on you know after um the arrest and all that kind of stuff and she kind of told him about what had happened and it was like one of those cases where it wasn't like oh i always thought he was a serial killer but it's not surprising (laughs) that he was a serial killer it's like usually people like oh he was so quiet i like never would have thought and you're like no that adds up it feels like that would be the kind of person we'd want to talk to as a guest (laughs) yeah maybe um i don't know but (laughs) he might be I don't know how much he wants to like spill the yeah, like, fair enough, fair tea enough. on but like I'm, an ex girlfriend's family, but I'm reminded of the Norm Macdonald punchline, uh, where you, you would talk about somebody horrible. Alice, this this BTK killer, you know, break into houses and bind people and you know psychologically torture them and he murdered people and rape people. What a jerk! <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, this uh, this Golden State Killer guy mm. seems like a real douchebag, if you ask a me. Jerk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was a fun little, fun little mm. anecdote that nice, I learned. Nice, this nice, week. nice. Uh, I think we've got many watches this week, do we? I think we've got many. We've got a couple, but not as not as many as last week for sure. Um, isn't it nice when you get surprised by a movie which you think is going to be a two star and it turns into a three or a three and a half? Oh, yeah, that is always lovely. Did that happen to you this week? I think it happened to both of us this week. Care of... That's true, yeah. A particular chud by the name of Bud. That's right, yes. Uh, the one movie that we watched together this week was mm. Chud 2, Bud, Bud the, the Chud, chud. Uh, which I was like... Mark, is it going to be a problem that I have not seen the first Chud? And you're like, no, 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 I don't think so. And certainly it appears it was not in any way related to the original one. I mean, we spoke about Chud a couple of weeks back, right? It's a a movie that takes itself seriously. It doesn't really have much in the way of a sense of humor. Plays it nice and straight. There's fucking Chuds in the sewer. Uh, Nuclear waste or, or whatever. Radioactive waste, experimental waste gets into the sewer system and creates mindless flesh eating. Chuds. Right? Cannibalistic humanoid, humanoid underground, underground dwellers. dwellers. Now, <laughs> this, the pitch for the sequel must have been something. That, well, let's take that first movie and tonally just fuck it sky high. Just bin everything yeah. tonally about that first movie. Because what the second one, what Bud the Chud delivers, 
is something more akin to uh, it had Return of the Living Dead vibes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Do you agree? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. it, I, it, and it, you know, it zips along. It's got a. It's, um, it's got a musical number. Did it have a musical number in it? Yeah, it had like a thriller esque dance oh, number. Yeah, with you're right. It did. Bud the Chud and all his Chud mates. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it, it, uh, I think you called it a that guy who's who. There are that guys in it. Yeah, that guy. Robert everywhere. Vaughn, for fuck's sake, Robert, Robert Vaughn. Vaughn. Yeah. Actual <laughs> actor Robert Vaughn. Who was in like the episode of Columbo I watched the next day after that. Oh, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it, it zips along. There's plenty of meat. There are laughs. Um, yeah. It was, yeah, a movie that I, I, I didn't see coming, was not prepared for it to be as good as it was, and I was not at all mad at it. Yeah, it was so much fun. It's more of, it's kind of like the troll versus troll two kind mm. of thing. Although well, in that case, troll is a much better movie, but they're completely unconnected to each other. There's mm. no underground dwelling to these oh, very uh, guys that are in this. Um, but yeah, and it's very absurd. It has a lot of silly humor. I was telling someone that like, like the epitome of how stupid the humor is in a way that really appeals to me is there's a point in this movie where... Um, there's an explosion in a classroom and a guy sitting next to it uh, just casually turns and points and goes, there's a fire. And it's so Beautiful. stupid and like Very understated, nice. like you could easily miss it. But I was like, this speaks to me on a deep level. Like I love <laughs> yeah, just yeah, like yeah, yeah. really dumb. It does. It, it leans right like in. That. You know, the military talk about an outbreak of Chudism. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> cracking. Really good film. Um, yeah. And, might not be on your radar. Uh, uh, a super yeah. classic, but the Chud. I absolutely recommend seeking it out because it's a. It's. I'm not gonna. Is it a banger? It's a kind of a banger with a, a lowercase b. Yeah, I think. I mean, I would absolutely be happy to watch it again. Um, yes. And I would have an absolutely great time. I think it's one that, like, if you broke out at a party or something and had people over, one hundred percent, everyone would have a great time. Big yeah. good times. Middle column horror. Uh, yeah, completely agree. Bud the Chud, thumbs up. Joag approved. Yes, absolutely. Um, I watched a movie called Influencer that is on Shudder, new to Shudder, um, hmm. which I feel like kind of, it's not the same, but I feel like it has a similar kind of vibe to uh, what's the, uh, Sissy, the movie that we watched oh, recently right, okay. that was really, yeah. um, that we really enjoyed. Uh, it's basically the story of, it's kind of a single white female kind of story in which there we start with this influencer who has gone to Thailand by herself. Her boyfriend was supposed to join her mm. uh, and instead she's on her own and this other girl uh, sort of befriends her and they're, you know, uh, she's kind of making her feel better about being on her own and her boyfriend and all this kind of stuff, but eventually maroons her on an island and takes over her life uh, as an influencer using basically like AI technology to face swap her um and you know yeah <laughs> do nefarious things and uh things you know escalate over the course of this movie and there's lots of murder lots of people get murdered um yeah, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of into it i'm kind of into the description yeah. you've just i think you'd really out. enjoy it um ah, it's, there it's... we go you've just cursed it completely you fucking... no I totally know when you're going to enjoy something. Uh, it is very rare I say you're going to we'll enjoy see. it and you don't. I will make it my business to not enjoy it. Enjoy it. <laughs> no, I think it's right up your alley. Um, 
it's yeah, it's extremely tense. Uh, and one of those movies that kind of puts you in that weird position where like obviously you're rooting against this girl, but then anytime it seems like she might get caught, you can't mm. help but be worried for her and be trying to like get her out. Like, oh mm. no, oh no, she's about to get busted for this. And so Me- it has that kind of thing where yeah, I think there's a there's a good amount of me the me yeah. There's a stiletto and an eyeball that you don't necessarily see, but it's visceral enough that you... Nice. Yeah, lots of blood. Um, cool. Yeah. I think it's a really good time. So like I said, it's uh, Influencer on Shutter, new to Shutter, very worth your time, I think. And again, I think it's like a 90 minutes or, you know, maybe oh. an hour 40. So, Completely know. sold. Well done. Thank you. Fun ride. Yeah. Mm. Now, the big one, I guess, which is Joag adjacent is Spider-Verse, isn't it? Across the Spider-Verse. You've been? I have, yes. I went it, with Richard and uh, Jen the other day. Oh, fantastic. It, it's it's done ridiculous numbers by all accounts. Yes, it has. Uh, let me let me just quote numbers. Yep, 208 million and way, way, way over uh, initial estimates. It's every fucker has gone to see Spider-Verse this week. Yeah. Now, I feel like, so I didn't love it as much as everyone did. Me either. And I was in a theater full of people who also (laughs) did Mm. not love it as much as everyone else did. It was incredible. So I think we all had the same problem. Uh, So my theater was basically me and Jen and Richard and then all of the local high school and middle schoolers. Uh, Um, And I don't think any of us knew this was a two-part movie. I had no clue. I had no clue. So it's two hours and 20 minutes yeah. of setup. Yep, it is. And it is. like, you could see like by two hours into this that like the kids were starting to be furious. Like, mm. That it no, was it's like, it, it, was when is this, this going to creeping start? Creeping certainty. The, <laughs> they, they, gonna, they aren't going to fix this. Yeah. Like what's, what's going on here? And when it said to be continued at the end of it, literally... It was incredible. The whole crowd started yelling, boo, we want oh our money back. Like, instantly, like completely spontaneously, everyone started booing and yelling for their money back at the end of wow. this. It was incredible. Just, one clip, guy, just unloading yeah, a fucking gun at the yeah, screen. Mother. One guy in the, in the front, he like checked his phone. He was like, there's no after credit scene. We got to wait nine months. Let's get out of here, everybody. And everyone like stormed out of it angry. Um, it was quite an experience, which is fun to bring my British friends to as well. (laughs) (laughs) This is American teenagers at the theater. Um, but I mean, I was, well, maybe not quite as enraged as they Mm. were. Being an adult. It was, yeah, being an adult Mm. (laughs) and being able to control my emotions. It was two hours and 20 minutes and it was the setup to a story. Yes. Yes. And the whole time I was like, so I was zoning out because I was just like, there's too much happening. There's too many characters. I honestly have no idea what's going on anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, also, as your brother pointed out, super fucking quiet. <laughs> like, so there's entire scenes of like exposition yeah. in this that you simply cannot hear. Um, and while the, like, I don't know who the person, if they were the director or whatever, who said to have your theater turn it up, that wouldn't yeah, have really helped. Like, I'm going to go to a fucking was, popcorn yeah. monkey in the cinema and go, oh, can you yeah. turn the film up, please, me? That's what, that cinema is run by teenagers. There's no yes. way I was going to go ask someone. But on top of that, like, it clearly was a mix issue because 
some stuff would be really quiet, but then, as like Richard pointed out, like your needle drops, those mu- musical points yeah. in this movie Bum-bum. were perfectly loud. Mm. So it was very much a problem of the mix of the movie <laughs> that some parts of it you simply can't hear. Now, I I didn't detect that. It, it, mm-hmm. ob- obviously, it's a thing because so many people have, have yeah. brought it up, but I, I didn't have any issues with the sound. What and it I could did be like issues. the system of your theater, right? Like yeah. it's made for a Dolby system and this was on this system or like whatever. Sure, sure, yeah. sure, sure. Um, man, it it just all felt very solemn. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you know what I'm saying? I mm-hmm. think there was, there was a section of the film which felt like a good third of the film that was just solemn conversation after solemn conversation. Right. After kind of just solemn chats it could mm-hmm. easily have stood to lose 20 minutes and yeah. two solemn chats and been a far, far, far tighter and more fun experience for it. Yeah. I think it lacks some of that, like, you know, the teenage jubilance of the first one, you Completely. know, where you really do. Yeah. Everything felt too adult yes. in this movie. Um, yeah. So it didn't. I don't know. I really love the first one. Um, and this just felt maybe once I see the second half. Yeah. Like it's half a movie. It's literally half a movie. Right. It's literally half a movie. It isn't set up like it isn't a full arc. And I think if you're going to do a two part movie, there has to be an arc for the first movie. Completely. Um, I mean, and you can't just cliffhang it. The gold standard of cliffhangers is Back to the Future, in my view. Right. Yeah. In that you don't even know that there's another story until right at the end of that story. You finish the story and then holy shit, there's another story. Right. Whereas this is just half. This is just the first, you know, yeah. third or two thirds of a story. There's there's nothing. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't tie anything up. Exactly. Uh, obviously, there's loads to love about it. It is. It, it's 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 still technically it's fucking beautiful. It is absorbing. It is heartfelt, beautifully mm-hmm. performed, uh, but yet unfulfilling. Mm-hmm. Takes itself way too seriously. And fuck, it gives you those. Uh, it leaves you it it leaves you unsated. Yeah, exactly. So, mm. yeah, I feel like maybe when the second half comes out, it'll sort of retroactively fix this one for me. You mm. know, where it can kind of be like like there's a lot that I love about this but not knowing where it's going just Yeah. Yeah, I just feel like I wasted two and a half hours and I should have just waited nine months (laughs) to see both ends of it instead of going to the theater and wasting that time. Put it like this. Right now on my letterboxd, there is but one star between Across the Spider-Verse and Bud the Chud. (laughs) Right? They are separated by one fucking meager star. I think I gave them the same rating. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so I suspect we're the only podcast in the fucking podcast diverse this week that is reviewing criticizing this oh, no. next to <laughs> across the spider verse. I think I think we are the only juxtaposition of those two. Works. I would be willing to bet. I don't know. Mm. It prove us wrong if someone else listened to a podcast this prove week that talked about wrong. Bud the Chud and Spider Verse and compared the two. Yeah. You let um, us know. I did, I think I said this to you, I did recommend Joe Ag to one of the cinema staff on the way out. Oh uh, yeah. I had a just you know one of those all too rare, lovely, fleeting interactions with a new human who you've not mm-hmm. met before. Um, uh, me and the boys were getting popcorn, of course, and I was feeling chatty and asked the the lady who was dishing up the popcorn. I used the term popcorn monkey earlier on, and I want to ro- I want to roll that back. 
You did use that term, didn't you? I want to roll that the fuck back because it was disrespectful and it hasn't sat well with me since I said it. So I recant, right? All right. So I had a chat, uh, asked her what she's seen, asked her if there's anything good, anything she'd recommend. She recommended uh, The Boogeyman. Yes, right. The new, new innovative must-see horror joint. Rob from Savage joint. My friend and yours, Rob Savage. What is he <laughs> going to do next? Um, and she seemed like Joag type of people. So on the way out, I said to her, listen, don't know if you're a podcast listener, but blah, blah, blah. I've got a podcast. That's what I said to her. Yeah. Well, if you're here, our dear yes. um, sna- concessions person? Cinema... Calorific technician. Ooh, calorific technician. Hello. Let's go with that. Glad you're here. Yeah. Uh, and, and we will see Boogeyman. I'm going to be merrily just chucking Joag business cards around Download Festival yes. this week. Just yeah, yeet them into the like fucking crowd. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. It uh, is. Also, last night, um, so checked into this hotel, turned on the TV. Uh, HBO was on this was like so my husband only watches horror movies when he's with me and he likes them fine but it's just not his bag so on his yep. own that's not what he watches I, that's uh, nice though so, I like that right yeah <laughs> he he suffers through it with me uh, what is his bag <laughs> if left to his own devices what will he go to actually he kind of watches everything to be honest with you but probably mm. more I don't know he watches more dramas he watches yeah, kind of anything, to be honest with okay. you. Whereas okay, I'm okay, more okay. like, I have yes. specific genres that I like to watch oh, and others know. that I we don't. Know. Yeah, mm-hmm. he is, he's not like that at all. He kind of will okay. watch whatever. Um, and so uh, the end of a movie was on and it was like, immediately I was like, oh, that's Jennifer's body. And he was like, okay. So I like explained to him the plot of Jennifer's body <laughs> as it was ending. And then the next, you know, movie starts and it doesn't tell you beforehand what's coming on. You just see like the, you know, the warning, nudity, graphic violence, whatever. I'm like, yeah. oh, I wonder what's on next. And it was like instantly water, pink script. And I was like, it's Ghost Ship. Ghost, Ghost Ship, ship is bing, on. Bing, 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 bing. <laughs> and he was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, wait, have you not seen Ghost Ship? We have been married for like 14 years and he has never seen Ghost Ship. Oh, somehow. did I bet he watched Ghost Ship? He watched Ghost Ship. Fucking last right, night. did he watch? Sometimes uh, well, he watched playing Ghost Marvel Ship. Snap, but you know, it was, but still, he, he had to watch Ghost Ship. And man, I'm telling you, like, I think I said on my letterbox something like, is it an objective five? Of course not. But it is absolutely <laughs> a five to me. And like, I can't imagine not enjoying <laughs> the ride it's, of Ghost it's Ship. It's comfort food for you, isn't it, Ghost Ship? Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's just it's just got everything. It's like deeply graphic violence. Mm. It's got ghosts. Uh, it's got a lovable ragtag band <laughs> of uh, characters. Like, oh, it, it got a, a twist at the end mm. of it, uh, two twists at the end of it. Uh, it's got a weird Mudvayne soundtrack. Oh, it's just like, oh, it does, it's doesn't so it? good. It's yeah, so yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that was a beautiful way to arrive into this hotel last night to just you've, settle in, have a drink, and watch Ghost Chip. You've reminded me and given me a pang of nostalgia um, for how rental video cassettes used to start here in the uk across the mm. i want to say the 90s okay uh we had a is he still alive we had a radio personality by the name of simon bates 
Okay. Right? Is he still alive? Simon Bates uh, was, uh, he was Radio 1 for a little bit, and for some fucking reason, I don't know why, but it fell to him, right? It was his job to sit there, face to camera, looking right down the barrel of the lens, with the BBFC rating next to him in a little window. This film has been <laughs> rated 15. That means you might find uh, scenes of uh, horror or, so, or brief scenes of drug use and some sexual swear words. <laughs> And he would introduce every fucking movie like that. If it was universal, this film is suitable for everyone. You'll have nothing there that's likely to offend. And he would he would do a little Were intro. They all, for, was it like a copy? like, Or yeah, he was he, doing this individually one, one for, for you, each? One for PG films, one for okay. 15s and one for 18s. He would have, you know, <laughs> he would have recorded an intro for every one of sure. those ratings. Uh, okay. And I'm deeply nostalgic for them. I'm going to dig those up. Yeah, I bet you can YouTube They must that. be on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Simon yeah. Bates. If you find it, please post it on our Twitter. Oh, you know that I will. I'm curious if the Reaper has come for him yet. Let's see. <laughs> Son of a bitch, Simon Bates is still alive. Oh, my hey, God. Hey, how old Love you, man? Love that. Love that. He is... Do, 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 do. Well, born in 1946. Okay, I'm not gonna try to. I uh, nor am I. Out. I'm gonna. Your Google doesn't refine... just say. He's 76. He's 76 okay. years old. I was just go, refining go, 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 my go. search term. Congratulations, Simon. Still kicking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> they should bring that back. You should oh, see that really in the should. movie theaters. I don't know. I'm sure every other kid who saw those introductions when he mentioned and some sexual swear words, obviously your first reaction is like, like Fuck what? Yeah. Like yeah. what? Yeah. Which cock? ones? Cock. Cock and cunt. Um. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, Simon Bates, still ticking. Love it. Excellent. Love that. Yes. Now, mm. there's a, you want to talk about a documentary you watched. Yes, I do. And then that's going to lead into our main topic, which mm. will revolve around a docu-series that I watched. So Beautiful. settle in, folks. We've got some interesting. Yes. Doc uh, of all graves. Doc of all graves for you right here. What did you watch, Mark? I'm very curious. <sighs> okay, I'm not going to tell you the title of the documentary yet because that will give away its content. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it's a two-part documentary on uh, Sky, which has just gone up this week, about a British killer okay. and fucking wrongen by the name of David Fuller. Okay. All right. Now, I, I, I suspect any Brits listening might immediately twig who this guy is, David Fuller. But th this documentary was fucking gripping, absolutely fascinating, and a tale of how time does not diminish guilt mm, mm -hmm. and science catches the fuck up. <laughs> right, yeah. Science catches up. So let me tell you a bit about David Fuller, right? Um from a town in the UK called uh, Tunbridge Wells. And in 1987, two girls in that town were murdered. Uh, a lady by the name of Wendy Nell, she was 25, and a lady by the name of Carolyn Pierce of 20. Mm. Both murdered, uh, you know, very similar MO. Um, broken into their bedsits, their flats, stabbed to death, sexually abused. Um, very similar. You know, police were, were worried that there was a serial killer. But... Incredibly, after these two murders in 1987, vanished, didn't kill again, right? Okay. And essentially just receded into a quiet, normal life. You know, all all together the kind of guy who you would never expect, right? 
Right. Uh, the documentary talked to surviving family members of these two girls, how, you know, over time, years go by and you lose hope. Um, the father of one of the girls, just weeks before his death of cancer, made an appeal some 20 years after the murder. Please, I just want closure. I just want this guy found. He went mm. to his grave with Fuller never, never seeing justice, right? Yeah, it's the worst. But, but fascinating to, to, to hear and to see how incrementally, like I said, the science catches up. Firstly, you know, some, some years after the murder, uh, examination techniques improved to the point where they found semen of his mm. on, you know, surfaces in one of the bedsets. Again, years go by, years go by, the cold case is open. DNA profiling is suddenly a thing. Right. So they're able to get a complete breakdown of his genetic profile from this genetic material that he's left behind at the scene. Years go by, years go by, the case is re-examined. Uh, familial DNA is then suddenly a thing whereby they can mm. match a DNA profile uh, to, you know, w with accuracy to who family members of yours are. And this guy, this guy, David Fuller, had never come to police attention, right? His DNA was not on a national database. He was completely just a ghost, practically. Well. Um, until uh, they're able to narrow it down, narrow the pool down, narrow it down. Examination, genetics, interviewing. And they finally get the fucking guy, right? They get him in... Uh, he was arrested in... Holy shit, 2021. Wow. Okay. Sorry, he was he was he was apprehended in 2020, right? After murdering these two girls in 1987. Wow. Oh yeah. Incredible. Uh, and there is footage of the arrest. He is meek. He puts up absolutely no resistance. He doesn't uh you know, he he you you if you're accusing somebody and they haven't done it, you would expect them to be affronted to to argue right, to remonstrate yeah. this guy. There's none of that. He's simply okay, fine. Yeah. I guess this has caught up to me. But then. Mm. But then. There's footage of the search of this guy's home, right? Mm -hmm. There's footage of the search of what looks to be his home office. Uh, one of the cops is leafing through some photos. And we see one of these cops looking, squinting at one of these photos. Mouth agape. Oh, wow. Yeah. Calls over one of his colleagues. Why does the person in this photo look dead? Oh, Jesus. Because the most cursory search of this guy's office re uh, turns up CDs, turns up hard drives, turns up memory sticks, turns up uh, folders of actual, you know, photographs, Polaroids. Uh at a conservative estimate, these hard drives contain some 818,000 photographs of Fuller in the hospital where he worked as an electrician sexually abusing corpses. <gasps> oh, no. Fucking right. For Holy his entire shit. career, right? For his entire career in the hospital where he worked as an electrician with complete free reign. For the entire time between 1987 and his apprehension, he had been taking photos of him. Uh, uh, I'm paraphrasing one of the investigating officers committing every type of sexual activity possible with corpses. Um, over Good 100 Lord. female corpses ranging in age from nine years old to a, 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 a lady, a poor dead lady in her 90s. Good grief. Insane. Absolutely fucking insane. 
people yeah. you know testifying that of all of the people you know unlike our good friend btk <laughs> this guy was a fucking ghost you would not ever notice him but right. he'd been quietly necroperving every single fucking day of his working life it, did you say it, he had a family like did he have kids or anything or is he just had a him wife and chilling? kids he okay. had a wife and children wow. uh it turned out he'd been he'd been at it literally days before his arrest jeez louise you know, there were colleagues of his being interviewed uh talking about chatting to him at work and the realization dawning that literally earlier on before they'd spoken to him he was in the morgue doing what he was doing God, I mean that's Fucking better wild. than murdering people, but that's still horrifying. Uh, I don't know what scale you're consulting there. Yeah, I well, don't know if yeah, <laughs> it's better that someone is dead that you're violating than you murder someone to violate them. I think that's like that's a fair scale. I I think there's probably a different <laughs> word than better. I don't know. I suppose. I mean, it's just that he quit it's a murdering. Different kind of fucked, isn't it? Yeah, it's, exactly. It's a different brand of fucked up. Yeah. I'm glad he didn't murder eight hundred thousand people yeah. or whatever. But this know? is this is this is the incredible thing. I mean, I I look. I don't know anything about criminal profiling really, other than the shit right. I chat on here every week. But to kill two women in identical situations, identical circumstances, violently, sexually. And then to knock that shit on the head and just turn to a life of necrophilia. But yeah, it seems like he figured out what yeah. actually he was attracted to. It wasn't the murder. Mm. It was the sexual violation of the corpse. Yes. And the m- most interesting to me, at least, uh, there was quite a long section of an interview with one of the investigating officers who took the responsibility of plugging in those hard drives. Uh, and... You know, he said, look, I, I, he's a guy who's quite known in investigative circles for, for looking at the worst of the fucking worst. Yeah. You know, sexual abuse, child pornography, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, he spoke about the fucking impact it had in his life, the trauma that it caused him, the, the, yeah, I can't the kind imagine of mental you forget angst. That. Exactly. You know, over 100 corpses. And the police had to, had to identify every single one of them. Gosh. Yeah. By tattoos, by distinguishing marks, by injuries. Did they tell the families? Yes, yes, they did. I don't think did. I'd want to know. There was a, you know, it, 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 there's no procedure for this kind of thing. You know what I mean? There's right. no process. Yeah, of course not. Of it, it, yeah. it was an ethical That's a kind of conversation. Call. Exactly this. And there was, a, yeah. there was a call made at the highest level that, look, we've got to fucking inform the families. Mm. Uh, as they did. And he is right now in prison for life. Um, and. Incredibly, in October 2021, he was charged with an additional 16 offences uh, at mortuaries in a different hospital. Good grief. This guy was committed. Yeah. He, he fucking loved it. Yeah. Like, and he must have gotten, like, so confident in it, too. Like, yes. the number oh. and to keep that stuff in your home. There was like, an, an occasion where he was disturbed. He was rumbled. You know what I mean? Somebody came in and fucking switched on the lights while he was literally just in the next room. He hid, didn't even bother getting dressed, hid. And then as soon as the coast was clear, just cracked the fuck just right on again. To it. Just went straight back to it. <sighs> mm. So what was this documentary? The documentary was called uh, Monster in the Morgue, I believe. Nice and nice and low key, nice yeah. and subtle title, you know? <laughs> Yes, uh, indeed. 
but yeah gripping just gripping you know i talk about we talk about this place is there a place beyond empathy we talk about that and i mean how are you view those crimes i i don't know fucking hell i don't know how you can reserve a place of empathy for something like that it's incredible yeah it's a that's a lot <laughs> yes it is oh boy well i mean i am i would watch it it sounds interesting if horrifying at the same it, time it's 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 absolutely gripping if you have even a passing interest into just how fucked people can be yeah well that uh that is perhaps more disturbing than <laughs> the documentary that i watched mm. but that was still um incredibly disturbing and one that uh, a lot of americans are talking about this week um amazon prime slash freebie they're the same thing uh put out a documentary this week that was an expose of the Duggar family, mm. which is called Shiny Happy People. I have seen familiar? reference to this on YouTube. I, I have no clue what it is. I don't know who the Duggar family are. Do you know who the Duggars are. are at all? No, no clue. Absolutely no, no hint of a clue. Okay, so the Duggar family um, was were the stars of a show on TLC um, that was initially called 17 Kids and Counting. And then they kept right. having babies. I think it ended at 19 kids and counting. Yes. Uh, fundamentalist Christian family who had 19 children. Yeah. And it was sort of, you know, right. a Can reality show about right their daily there. life. Fundamentalist. Yeah. I'll get to that. Okay, okay. Because I'm, yes. I'm kind of, I'm... I'm, I'm right, you're already big. starting a at a loss here. Fucking clue <laughs> about these different sects of yeah, craziness. what the fuck does that mean, right? Mm. And that's the thing about the show is, uh, and why I'm not immediately jumping into, so what does that mean? Is what this show kind of did was really normalized their lives. It didn't really go into how extreme their beliefs were. Mm. And presented this really, I mean, this is why the documentary is called Shiny Happy People, right? Because it, it presented this view of this really kind of perfect family uh, with 19 kids who all behaved really well, um, mm. who never really like fought with each other, who were super obedient and happy um, and just presented this really nice front for these people. Um, and over the years, a lot has come out about that family. Primarily, the biggest thing is the oldest son in the family, the oldest of the children, Josh. Mm. Um, he it came out in like the like 2011, 2012. It might have even been before that. No, it had to be somewhere in that general Did you vicinity. Say Duggan but it came, or Duggar. Duggar. D U G G A R. It came out that he had uh, molested a couple of his sisters and some other girls. Um, and that the family's response to that, uh, was basically they, you know, um, another, they had told another family, uh, who was courting, um, one of their children or that Josh was courting their daughter, um, that like, Hey, you know, this happened and all that kind of stuff. And they demanded like, you know, you turn him into the police or whatever. They took mm. him in and the officer that they took him to was basically like, um, you know, this is really bad. Uh, I'm going to basically let you off with a warning here. But if this happens again, um, there's going to be serious consequences for it. Right. Mm -hmm. It turns out that that police officer was a friend of the dad, Jim Bob Duggar. Um, so basically doing him a solid. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. on top of that, 
that officer now is in jail for child pornography. Mm -hmm. Um, So they then sent Josh away to basically like a Christian rehab, which was like building houses, like physical labor, Um, not therapy or anything like that to deal with why he would do a thing like that, but just sent him off, build some houses, build some character. He was also caught up in, I don't remember if this must have been before this, but he was caught up in the scandal when there was the leak of Ashley Madison users, the uh, website where you could cheat on your spouse. I remember that. Right. So it was, you know, he had had affairs with multiple women, including like sex workers uh, Mm. through the Ashley Madison site. Obviously, he was married with children. I think he now has like six kids. um, Oh, what? um, Christ. uh, Yeah, a gal named uh, Anna Duggar. Um, And um, so he was caught up in that whole thing. And then um, a few years ago, his um, office was raided and child pornography was found on his uh, office computer. It had obviously been like a thing that they had been looking at for a while to before they raided it and actually arrested him for this. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There was accountability software on there, which Christians use to basically make it so that they can't look at porn. <laughs> so if you look at porn, then it sends like an email to an accountability buddy um, and then they can talk with you about like, why were you looking at this? But Josh was extremely tech savvy and he knew how to like partition his hard drive so that he could keep all of this horrible child porn that uh, people who work in that area said it was amongst the worst images of like torture against Uh, uh, kids as young as nine months old um, in these videos and it, you know, bypassed that software. So it wasn't found on there. He's now the, in jail. The premeditation that takes. Exactly. Right? Like, the that's not in a moment of impulse. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That is, you know, a, you know, he went through all of this trouble to bypass the security and all that kind of stuff to keep these horrible images on his computer. Um, his family claims, you know, he's been framed and things like that and still mm. stands by him on this, aside from a couple of his siblings who have obviously sworn off from him. Um, so that's like the biggest scandal that has come out of, uh, all of that. And it speaks to larger problems in fundamentalism and specifically in the sect that they come from, which is called the Mm. IBLP, the Institute of Biblical, Biblical Learning Principles, I believe, um, is what it's called, run by a guy named Bill Gothard. Now, just to sort of give you an idea of where we're coming from on this, so about what evangelicalism is for a second, because yes. we've talked about evangelicals, about my escape from that uh, arena of belief and things like that. Um, and there's actually a, a website called the National Association of Evang- Evangelicals that describes what sets evangelicals apart from other kinds, specifically like mainline Protestants is what we usually call the other mm. kinds of people um, in the like this Christian category. So uh, there's four things, basically. There's conversionism. So that's the belief that lives need to be transformed through a born-again experience and a lifelong process of following Jesus. Um, So conversion is a key part of evangelicalism at some point. So in evangelicalism, as opposed to many other denominations, um, you don't do infant baptism. You okay. make the choice to be baptized. You have later. to consciously come to Jesus, come exactly. to God. Exactly. 
Okay, yeah. So okay. like most See, of my like friends. Like I said earlier on, this is yeah. this is super helpful to me because right. the various denominations of fucking lunacy I just I have no clue. I have no frame <laughs> right. of reference. So yeah, you exactly. say conversionism. Conversionism, right. So this the is... conversion is important and it is necessary. You are not simply born Christian, it is an active choice that you have to make and that you continue to make because you can't simply like convert and then I'm good, I'm saved. You have right. to actively continue to follow Jesus from that point forward. Would I, as a conversionist, come to this decision on my own or would I Theoretically, be of course. Conversionized. You know, like, it's it's a process of indoctrination, right? Yes. Um and so of course like most of my friends when I was in college would have said like they made the choice to convert when they were like six, seven years old. You're a kid. What the you fuck do you know about you anything no such at choice. that point, right? Like, yeah. you knew it would make your parents happy. You were afraid of hell. Like, all these kinds of things. Like, it's not really an informed decision based on, like, looking at all the choices in the world and picking out the one that is right. Yeah. Um, you know, but, like, say you're 45 and you've gone through life and all these kinds of things and you come to it, then obviously it's your own decision, but it's still the process of indoctrination. Um and it kind of comes with, like, another one of these tenets is activism, uh, the expression and demonstration of the gospel in missionary and social reform efforts. Um, and so this is, like, missions and stuff like that, which often go to some of the, like, most impoverished places. They love to go where there's lots of brown people and things mm, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but places where basically they're bringing resources and all this kind of stuff and then being like, and Jesus gave this to you, <laughs> you know? And- Places where they send pedos to build houses to kind of... Right, exactly. Yeah, there's a million reasons why missions are terrible. At least the one thing that I can say is that when I did missions, it was in Northern Ireland. So (laughs) I was not um, influencing, you know, a bunch of impoverished brown people. I kind of wish we'd met when you were in that that (laughs) phase, you know. Uh, I mean, technically, we started talking while I was in that phase. But, yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. Not, <laughs> not in this in this way for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like, but it's an important element of evangelicalism that you are consistently sharing the gospel. You're evangelizing um, and telling people about God. You can't simply mm-hmm. passively um, uh, be a Christian. I'm- how is that measured or how is that kind of noted? Do you, how, Mostly a lot of guilt. <laughs> uh, you know, the sense that I'm, I'm, ne- I'm unworthy who, who, and I'm never doing enough. Uh, if I'm, a, if I'm a, a, an evangelical, right? Yeah. Who decides that I'm evangelizing enough? Who decides that I'm talking about I mean, about it's personal, right? Like, so that's right. one of the things about evangelicalism is every element of this is personal. It's yes. your personal relationship with Jesus. Um, which like, say if you're in like Catholicism is not necessarily the case, right? Like you're praying through saints to get to God and things like Mm. that. You're not necessarily expected in a lot of denominations and things like that to actively be like, Jesus and I are like homies, (laughs) you know? Um, and so as such, like a lot of this stuff has to do with your sense of personal conviction, right? And some people feel like they are called to literal missions going somewhere and that is their job. They go and Mm. they are missionaries. Other people, my work is my mission field, right? I, I, I'm in the corporate world. Uh, nobody's Christian here, so I'm going to be the light in 
this corporate environment, right? Uh, you hear a lot of like the conservative actors, like you know your Kevin Sorbo types and things like that, but talk about like how persecuted they are because they want to speak the truth of the gospel and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so they've been, you know, blackballed from Hollywood <laughs> because I don't think I've ever heard a more fucking horrifically venomous yet at the same time bland and beige as fuck term as corporate evangelical fucking hell there's nothing fun in those two words at all yeah no it's pretty terrible like Um, office culture and work is fucking shit enough without yeah why don't you add someone constantly vocally banging on about christ all the time yeah 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 it's the worst i would simply (laughs) walk out i would i would adopt the advice of to share zone admin and i would hit the bricks hit the bricks um, so yeah, all of this is like personal, your decision about that stuff. Um, Biblicism, a high regard for an obedience to the Bible as the ultimate authority. And of course, that also means literalism, right? The Bible means exactly what it says. Everything okay. that's in it happened, right? The earth was created in seven mm. days. Um, there was a literal flood. Uh, you know, there were actual giants. People really lived to be hundreds of years old. The miracles are as written. Everything in the Bible is literal. There were those cool as fuck, massive fucking scary ass <laughs> angels. Yes, exactly. Which um, I, I, which I'm quite into. I got to say, I think they're pretty metal. Those things. There's some good horror in the Bible <laughs> for mm. sure. Uh, that being am- amongst them, um, and of course, this is a. Uh, yeah a fraught concept because naturally the bible can't be literal there are contradictions in it right Mm. like each of the gospels is telling the same story but all of them tell it differently for example which leads to a a sort of branch of theology called apologetics which is basically explaining why things are true in the bible that maybe don't seem true (laughs) And what, sort of so explaining why these cleaving to the Bible so strongly and so literally that there's an entire branch of theology dedicated to, to explaining, explaining why it why is literal, even wrong, though it seems actually... like it's wrong. Yeah. Oh my god! Exactly. Um, so yeah, so biblical literalism, and um, basically, you know, if the Bible is... says it, it is true, and I believe it, and I have to adhere to that. This feels like the stuff that's holding us back as a species. This is the stuff that's stopping us exploring the stars. This is the type <laughs> of stuff which is, you know, stopping us from uniting as a planet, taking down the borders, burning the flags. This exactly, is the kind of stuff yeah. that is keeping us under the fucking capitalist yoke, mate. Yeah. That's what that is. And as, and you will see that as I talk a little bit more about the Duggars. Mm. <laughs> um, and, and that just brings me to the fourth and final thing, with this, which is crucicentrism. A stress on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Yes. Okay. A stress on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as making possible the redemption of humanity. So your core thing that you absolutely have to believe is basically John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Yeah. The central thing you have to believe to be an evangelical Christian is that Jesus literally died as an atonement for our sins uh, and that we are sort of forever in the debt of that. That, What verse is that, John? 3.16. John 3.16, okay. Yes. Um, and well, Austin 3.16 says, I just whipped your ass. 
<laughs> it's true to say that. Um, yeah, and, and so that basically it's this it's a somewhat contradictory belief, but at the same time, what we're saying here is that we are all sinners at our core, right? Mm. We are at our core unforgivable. But because of this atonement of Jesus Christ for our sins, um, we have a clean slate with God. And in believing in Jesus and worshiping Jesus and understanding the sacrifice that he made for us and thus consistently sort of talking to him about our sins and asking for forgiveness of those things, um, we will not be held accountable to those sins, which ultimately, you know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. It's perishing. It's hell. Um, and so, so does his that, sacrifice keeps us from hell. Does that remove the concept of forgiving oneself? Does it remove the ability for somebody to come to terms with their own misdeeds and to find peace on a personal level? To, well, it kind of depends on how you look at that, right? Because, like, say, for example, um, a friend of mine, um, their mother, who was one of our, like, youth group leaders when I was young, she had had an abortion when she was younger, right? Okay. okay. Um, and so, of course, that was a thing that, like, she felt deep guilt about a sin that she had committed, right? However, through Jesus, through accepting Jesus, that sin is wiped away and so for the rest of her life her kind of way of looking at things is that like now and she's kind of taken this in a productive way a lot of people would then go and like bomb a Planned Parenthood or something like that or be like terrible about things her thing is more um with like encouraging people to um like adopt and things like that which obviously mm. is fraught in its own way um but like basically providing other options like encouraging sex education stuff like that to make it so that people don't need abortions um which i think ultimately is like a good thing right like the fewer people need them the better mm. <laughs> but uh that she sees herself as redeemed that sin is gone right like the some kind of idea about the scale here. I mean, how, and I, I don't expect an exact figure, but how many fucking Crucis centralists are there? A lot. I mean, um, over, like, I think it's something like 54% of all Protestants in America are evangelicals. Okay. So it's the vast majority of Protestants. And then people who are Protestants in America is something like 70% of the population. Mm. So... The vast a majority, bunch, fair or yeah, bunch. a bunch, a good mm. chunk of our population is Protestant, considers themselves to be Protestant. Um, and then over 50 percent of those are evangelicals. OK, it's so it's by no means like a kind of a niche culty kind of. Thing. No, it is not mm. fringe at all. Um, and, and this is kind of a thing that I think is worth attacking. So this particular documentary, like I said, deals with uh, the IBLP led by Bill Gothard, which is a um, fundamentalist group. Fundamentalists usually take all of this to the extreme, right? Biblical literalism to the extreme. Super literal, the, yeah. So we're talking about like very strict gender roles. Um, women stay at home and raise kids. Um, men do the work. Um, there are, you know, uh, strict modesty rules about what women can wear, usually like no pants. Um, they <laughs> wear long skirts that cover their entire lower okay. half, no showing their arms. Um, you know, these, this is a part of what's called quiverful movement. 
um, where you should have a full quiver of children, um, and therefore How you should have as many babies as possible. Just keep as going. As many as you just, can, yeah, just ah, keep them coming wow. until yeah. your uterus falls out, basically. <laughs> until it just <laughs> plops on yeah. the floor. Right. Um, you know, up. just keep on making babies. And the purpose of this, uh, one of the important things, too, is that you absolutely are not supposed to get educated um, in these groups. Uh, because obviously that's a danger to <laughs> the beliefs of course, when yeah. people start getting educated. So they're homeschooled. They don't go to college, anything like that. Now, this is kind of related to the conversion thing, right? And about like missionaries. So what Christians tend to do is to go out and evangelize and create new yeah. believers through the process of evangelizing. But how fundamentalists like this believe that they are helping that process is by literally birthing believers um and once they have raised these believers these tons and tons of believers they're raising them to sort of be very active in like politics and things uh-huh. like that and to embed themselves into the political fabric of this country to then turn this country christian basically by sheer numbers um, and being able to, you know, Whoa. through the offices that they can hold and through the lobbying that they do, influence the culture. Um, and Josh Duggar, before being arrested and all that, was like deeply embedded in politics and was part mm-hmm. of like the Family Research Council and all these like, um, you know, really uh, important uh, groups that are extremely influential. In America, and there's tons of fundamentalists who are parts of these things. They're having tons and tons and tons. Which of was kids. my next question. I mean, is it is it working? Are there still people in it's high ex- office? Yes, very much so. This is part of the reason why we have like a useless, deeply conservative Supreme fun. Court. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. These people are like lobbying. These people. There's a bajillion of them. They kind of are. I mean, the like the GOP of a lot of like Southern places like Arkansas, where the Duggars are from and things like that are full of these fundamentalists who have very strong beliefs about obviously things like homosexuality and things like that, about the place of women in society and the place of men in society. And on top of all of this, like, you know, when it comes to like rape and things like that, um, they see it as like the woman's fault you know, because you're tempting men into doing this. Like, certainly you must have shown a shoulder or given exactly. them the wrong idea or things Wolf like pants. that. So yeah, right? Like, so there's a lot of, like, a lot of familial rape and molestation within fundamentalism. Um, and, you know, the, the head of this particular organization, Bill Gothard, um, in this documentary, many women <laughs> talk about basically his grooming them, bringing them into work for him, uh, seeing, testing the water, seeing how far he could get with them from like holding their hands during prayer to moving his hands up their legs until like full on rape mm. with these young girls as a man in his, you know, fifties and onward. Um, and so this is bringing up a lot <laughs> for people who not only grew up fundamentalists, but for evangelicals in general, um, And, you know, I have mentioned this before, especially on Twitter. I've said many times that I think it's important that we keep getting these documentaries about, like, extreme groups and stuff like that um, and what's going on in them. What has Josh Duggar's community said about him? Has he been, like, completely denounced? Has he been cast out? No, absolutely not. He is fully 
<laughs> he is absolutely still a part of the community and people are fighting on his behalf. His sisters who have rejected him are ostracized. Mm. Um, they're the ones that the community basically is like, you are dishonoring your family by not backing them up in this and all that stuff. So like they I said, it's their I imagine fault, right? <laughs> doing, you know, the, the, the Klingon thing when a Klingon is cast out and you, everybody turns <laughs> their back on them like that. None right. of that happens. It's just like, oh, go build a house or two. You'll be okay. Right, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's the, the girls who have sort of spoken out a, about it that are receiving the blowback from that, from the fundamentalist community, as opposed to the guy with some of the most horrific things people have ever seen on his computer. Mm. Um, and so, like I've said, the I think, you know, it's important to get these things out here because, like, we have to realize these people are breeding tons and tons of children to yeah. infiltrate our government and turn this nation into a Christo-fascist nation. That's their goal. They want for all of us to be like this. And it's working. You can see how, like, over, especially over the past few years, definitely over the past year with things that Ron DeSantis is doing and Tennessee and Texas and all this kind of stuff that we're seeing like more draconian abortion laws, anti-gay and trans laws, restrictions of just basic rights of yeah. people that are being instilled because of the powerful lobby of Christo-fascists. It's the first, like that's the, the very first time that I've come up against the term Christo-fascist and it, yeah, perfectly describes what you're talking about doesn't it yeah it's 100 percent what's happening here that said um i'm in a group called exvangelicals on facebook and you uh -huh. know it's people kind of processing uh their leaving of evangelicalism and you know what that means for them and things that they hear about and all that stuff and someone posted in there um you know we've exposed the iblp now um what do we expose next and the comments on that were mostly people being like, I didn't grow up in IBLP, but my church was a lot like this, right? Comment after comment after comment after comment of people who grew up in regular evangelical churches who saw the same kinds of things happening mm. in theirs. And the thing about these documentaries is that like, yes, there are crazy cults with insane things happening in them, in them or whatever. Or like now there's a documentary about the Hillsong church, um, another docu docu-series about the Hillsong church. Um, Isn't that the one Chris and, Pratt belongs to? Uh, I don't think he's Hillsong, uh, but like Justin Bieber belonged to it. Right, the, right, the right, Kardashians, right, right. things like okay, that. Okay. Um, and they basically are sort of looking at like that organization and the charismatic men at the head of that that were abusive. And that's great that we're exposing that kind of stuff. But what I hold is that evangelicalism <laughs> is the problem. It's yes. what you said as soon as I started telling you about this stuff, right? Like this is what's holding us back. Um, from so many things from, you know, this is why we have borders. This is why we yes. uh, don't do the exploration we could. This is what basically puts everything in place that restricts us from the fullness of humanity comes from biblical liter literalism, conversionism, from missionaries, from people who are trying to control our population <laughs> based on based on religion, deeply flawed religious mm. beliefs that are not necessarily the beliefs of mainline Protestants. Whether or not I believe what mainline Protestants believe, um, you know, many of them, some are basically evangelicals, but many of them 
don't think the Bible is literal. Uh, they don't think Jesus is the only way to salvation. They think, you know, there's wiggle room in all of this. There's interpretation. And that makes a world of difference from people who the, the functional main tenets of evangelicalism mean that we cannot have a free and fair and liberal world, right? Because the central thing we need is to believe exactly what the Bible says and that all of us need to be converted to uh, yeah. a relationship with Jesus Christ in which we strive to attain those things. Even, even, even that term converted is insidious. It is aggressive. It implies mm -hmm. invasion. It implies... Right, yeah you know, taking you from one state and putting you in another. It, it's, right. it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, ah, it's not a it's passive a contagion. process. It's it more of a, a, a contagion yeah. than a conversion. <laughs> right. It, it's not a passive process. It is something yes. that requires intervention and action yes. and force. Yes. Um, and indoctrination, of course. <laughs> That's, you know, the, the main part of this. And that they know that vulnerability is key, right? So like how we've talked so many times about the reason that I became an evangelical was my like fear of smallness. Mm. Um, and you know, the universe being too big and I needed some way to control how small I felt within that universe. And that's a vulnerable thing that you can very easily target. Um, poverty is a thing that you can target, um, you know, a person who's been abused can be targeted yes. someone who's used drugs can be targeted yes, yes, someone yes. with little education all these kinds of things are vulnerabilities that they know about and aim for to create this emotional conversion experience within you and then to indoctrinate you into believing that you have to literally believe what the bible says and my man read some of <laughs> what paul has to say in that book and that guy is a motherfucker. <laughs> he doesn't like women. Um, he's just like a giant asshole all the time. If you believe this stuff is literal, like literally, that guy says that women shouldn't ever be in authority over a man and they shouldn't speak in church. <laughs> oh, like, right. Okay. Okay. Nice, nice low-key stuff then. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Just like super chill beliefs. Mm. If you take this stuff literally, what kind of world does that so make? So when... When presented with that question, right, mm -hmm. as, as you've said, in high office, there are right now fundamentalists, there are right now, uh, what's the word, crucio-centralists? You mean crucicentrism? Yeah. Crucicentrists, yes. Yeah. When, if confronted with that, you're here taking a book literally, which has these kind of abhorrent, you know, completely anachronistic views and you take that literally what would be the response what do you mean like from who so if well anyone with those beliefs confronted right now in 2023 with the notion that you are espousing and believing and cleaving to literally a book which states no no woman should speak in church no woman should hold power at any point over anyone else how how is that defend how is that defensible how can i mean you've basically got one of two ways that that's dealt with. One, yes, that's yeah. fundamentalist Christian yeah. Christianity, yeah. right? Is, yup. And, a yeah, woman yeah, shouldn't cool. speak in church. She should never be in authority over a man. That's what it says. That's what I believe, right? Um, and then there is like 
a more liberal interpretation or to say, you know, things were of their time, a sort of apologetics view of it, right? Like that doesn't, you know, he was speaking this. A lot of times what you hear is like, <laughs> I remember like the not speaking in church thing. Uh, a lot of the talk about that that I'd hear in classes or from people to justify it was, well, that's not for everybody. The specific okay. church he was talking about that he was talking to because Paul is preaching sermons and writing letters. That's what, you know, his stuff is. Um, the church that he was talking to had a real problem with the women who were, like, causing issues acting and stuff out. like that. So he yeah, was, yeah, yeah, they were acting Giving out. it gum. So he's talking to this specific church. I see. Uh, okay. That's not a blanket thing for all of us, right? Or there's degrees of it. Like, women can be in ministry, but they can do children's ministry. They can't preach, right? They can't be the pastor, of a mm. church. So there's like different interpretations of the same thing, but everyone believes it to a degree. Right? Oh, it's man. just you know, so yeah, you would bring that up to someone and that wouldn't phase them. That wouldn't be like, "Oh shit, you're right. That's incompatible with my <laughs> worldview." It's oh, just whoa. they'll just interpret it in a way yeah. that works within their worldview. Which even you know even I mean? even in itself, and I know we're, we're simplifying here, but even in itself, that seems like a contradiction in terms. If you're mm -hmm. committed to taking that book literally, you're already kind of backpedaling well, and, is... and making it fit your own agenda. <laughs> you're absolutely hitting on one of the central problems of the idea of bibl by biblical literalism is yes. that, you know, one, a phrase that evangelicals love is the Bible is clear. The Bible is clear is it, as mud, yeah, is it, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's why there are so many different denominations, because everyone interprets little bits of the Bible differently. I mean, the entire Southern Baptist Convention, which is, I think, the largest evangelical denomination, um, if it isn't, it's one of, but I'm pretty sure it's the largest, literally was created <laughs> because the Baptist Convention had brought blacks into it. And it was created for segregation. <laughs> it was created so that they could not have blacks within Southern Baptist Convention churches. Where you get that in the Bible? I don't know. But they can create a denomination around segregation, literally. <laughs> um, and that's the thing is there you cannot be literal about the Bible mm. simply because it is not clear. There are so many translations of the Bible um, you know, and people have their dog in the fight about which one is the correct one. Um, and nobody has ever interpreted it in one way throughout the entire history of its existence. So biblical literalism is, like you said, it's a contradiction in and of itself because you simply cannot interpret it literally. There's simply mm. no way to do that. And it holds us the fuck back. And it holds us back. Absolutely. Mm. I think the belief system is trash. Yes. I don't necessarily think, you know, when we started this, right, like your attitude towards all of this was a to each his own kind of thing, right? It um, was. That it you were like, if was. you, yeah, yeah, you were like, I don't care what the fuck you believe. Um, like, yeah, whatever, mate. Just you know, I don't want to hear about it, but, yeah, you know, yeah. believe what you want. And that then I sort of started telling you about like, oh, now hold on a minute. <laughs> it's a little bigger than that. And I think I still think that way, that there are plenty of kind of Christian spiritualities that exist. There's plenty of black Christian spiritualities, um, indigenous Christian spiritualities, Eastern Christian spiritualities um, that don't adhere to yes. this kind of stuff. Um, and in that sense, I say, sure, you know, <laughs> like 
what you believe is fine. Just don't use it to oppress other people. This, I don't think you can fix it. I don't think you can have these beliefs and make a fair, equitable world. I think it is simply impossible to believe those four things and create a world that is fair. Yeah. Uh, It... Stop me if I'm way off off base here, mm-hmm. um, but it feels as though it feels as though it's tailor made to be able to be used for you to kind of prejudice against or keep down any particular groups that you might want. Yeah, yeah, Just absolutely. Interpret it air quotes literally, but mm-hmm. only literally in the way that it attacks the people who you don't like. Exactly that, that and and that's fair? what. That's completely it. It's that it has always been interpreted, you know, in a way that um, works for power, right? Exactly. And, yes, and you yes, can yes. argue the Bible itself isn't that way, that there's plenty mm. of instances throughout the Bible in which it's about speaking truth to power and taking down powerful people. But mm. the way that ev- evangelicalism works is not like that. It very much supports power um, and, you know, fascism and... Uh, groups of people being better and in charge of it, it, yes. it supports hierarchies ultimately. Anointed, yeah, right. Which I think there's plenty of ways you can read the Bible that it does not do that. Um, but evangelicalism inherently reproduces hierarchies and power. Do you know I am so grateful for that last kind of little section of Joe Ag, I feel a lot clearer on areas where I had no fucking clear walking into this week's episode. Uh, Good, so, yes, very grateful. And <laughs> grateful, and yet with that same kind of post-Joe Ag anger. Right. Which is a thing. I often finish a Joe Ag thinking, what the fuck, man? Um, yeah. So I've got a little but bit of that, but there's knowledge now where once there was not. And you know what? That's a, that's a thing that I take from my christian background is righteous anger you know that there is a degree of anger that is that causes us to fight for justice um and that makes us effective in the world so when we leave joag angry about something it simply makes us more effective in making that equitable Uh, world making a a more just world fucking love that (laughs) i really do you know Christofascism, nuclear leukemia, necrophilia, <laughs> the fucking poo knife. This has been. This it's a journey. Been, this, this is the Joag journey. This is Jack of all motherfucking graves, everyone. But the chud. But the chud, first and foremost, most importantly. Uh, dear friends, we hope that you have enjoyed Thank the you ride sincerely. with us. Yeah, thanks for that. Yes, next week we will be without Mark, but uh, Mm. we'll be bringing in my dear friend Xander to uh, do a fascinating episode for you. So, you know, stay tuned for that. It's going to be a really good time. And uh, until such times as we come together, um, you know, you should uh, should probably just stay spooky. That is non-negotiable.